0: morning, everyone. If you, uh, if you have a Bible with you, could I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. It's page 59 on the, in the Red Pew Bibles. We're going to pick up from where we left off two weeks ago. This is, as Richard said at the start, part 3 of Man on the Edge. New series, tracing the life and adventures of Moses. In the first two parts, we've actually covered two-thirds of his life. Moses lived, as many of you know, until he was 120. And so by the time we get to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, he's 80 years old. So Exodus chapters 1 and 2 cover 80 years of his life, and then you have 38 chapters covering the final third. Moses' life kind of falls neatly, although there's nothing particularly neat about it, into three equal sections of 40 years. And I love this spin that someone has put on those 120 years. Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody. And he spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. It's brilliant. And two weeks ago we, uh, we left Moses beginning that second section of his life. He had murdered an Egyptian. And therefore he had to run for his life. And he ended up in a tiny tribal community on the east side of the Dead Sea. He got married. He had a son. And he started to work in his father-in-law's sheep-minding business. And for four decades, that was it. Or so it seems, because there's no record in here of anything significant happening to Moses For 480 months. 40 years to reflect on what he had done. 40 years of total obscurity. 40 years of God on mute. Till one day, which was just another ordinary day, everything changed and the silence was shattered. And before we go on to reflect on what is, I know, a very familiar incident, let me make a few initial comments. First as a reminder of something we said two weeks ago. Failure isn't final. Do you know, it might have seemed like game over for Moses. The consequences of messing up back in Egypt were pretty serious. And although Moses might have thought, I'm a write-off, Actually, it turns out that the God of the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth chance, that particular God had other plans for Moses. A new day dawned. Failure isn't final. Secondly, life can take on a radically different look at any stage. At 80 years of age, Moses probably thought this, what he's doing now, the lifestyle, the environment... The daily routines. Moses probably thought this was how it was going to be from here on in. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. For Moses, life was about to begin again at 80. Now I know we don't live to 120. Our life expectancy sits around or just over 80. But even taking that into consideration, this would mean the beginning of a brand new adventure in your late 50s or early 60s. God is not ageist. There is no best before date stamped on your life. God uses little kids with lunchboxes and old age pensioners with life experience to impact and transform the lives of others. Thirdly, God speaks to ordinary people on ordinary days. Do you know Moses got up that morning with little or no expectation that today was going to be any different. As he got up, got changed, had breakfast, kissed his wife goodbye. He had no idea that God was going to speak into his ordinary life on this ordinary day. And who knows, today might be that day for you. And so if you're here this morning and you feel ordinary and you feel this is a really ordinary day, and this is a really ordinary service, then the conditions might just be right for a life-altering holy moment. Who knows? Well, God knows. Failure isn't final. Age is irrelevant. Ordinary is perfect. Back to the story. Moses finds himself and his flock of sheep near a mountain, mountain called Horeb, or Sinai, as it's called elsewhere in Scripture. When all of a sudden, some kind of a thorny desert plant ignites. Now that in itself is not necessarily uncommon, but what is weird is that it doesn't burn up. Generally, anything that catches fire in this environment is a pile of ashes in no time. But this one just keeps on burning and so Moses is understandably curious and therefore he goes to have a closer look and then things go from weird to bizarre because as Moses gets closer he hears a voice and the voice appears to be coming from within inside the fire and the voice is calling his name Moses Moses you see As he approaches God, it turns out he's already known. He's named before he names. He's called before he calls. He's spoken to before he speaks. God takes the initiative. God comes after you. You don't come after God. He comes after you. Moses responds, here I am. And then he's told, don't come any closer, Moses. Take your sandals off because you're standing on holy ground. This was a holy moment. And whatever was going on here, and Moses had absolutely no clue what was going on here at that stage. No idea. But whatever was going on here was different. It demanded respect and reverence and shoeless feet symbolized humility before God. God was here. And if this conversation, if this dialogue is going to go anywhere, then Moses needed to appreciate the uniqueness and the reality of God's immediate and intimate presence. Now, I don't want to head off on a massive tangent, but let's remember, as Richard has said, that God, by his Holy Spirit, is here this morning. That's why many of you have turned up. It's God by his spirit is here, present, with, near. This is holy ground. These are holy moments. And the question is, what do we need to take off in order to come before God in humility and with respect and with reverence? Pride? A wandering mind? Unconfessed sin, apathy, a critical or an unforgiving spirit. Do you know sometimes before we hear God speak, or if we're ever going to hear God speak into our lives, we need to shed some stuff, or else we might miss a divine encounter. Is there anything you need to take off this morning? Anything. It's blocking the moment. Now what is interesting, never noticed this, doesn't actually tell us whether Moses did take off his sandals. Although I think it's safe to assume he did, given what's happen- what was happening. But standing on blistering hot desert sand in bare feet can't have been that comfortable. But maybe that was the point. And God then begins to clarify who he is. The God of your father, Moses. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. And as Moses tries to process what's happening, it says he hides his face and he was afraid to look at God. Now, not literally look at God. That wasn't an option. Never was. So not literally look at God. But what Moses was afraid to do was face up to God. To face up to God. To stand before and to converse with the Almighty. That was an immense thought and prospect. And these moments were not lost on this ordinary man. And maybe his memory was working overtime. Maybe he remembered why he was here in Midian. How he had messed up in Egypt. How he had failed. And now confronted with a holy God. He's afraid or he's ashamed to look. Again, I just wonder, is there anybody here this morning who's afraid to face up to God? You've done something this week. Thought something, said something. You're holding on to something. You're not letting go. And the reality is you're really afraid to face up to God. And as moses stands there sandals off head bowed god speaks again and god says something that we've already looked at and we discovered at the end of chapter 2 that god sees and god hears And God is deeply concerned about the suffering and the oppression of his people. But now here in chapter 3, there's a new dimension. There's an added dimension because in verse 8 it says that I have come down, Moses, to rescue my people. To deliver them, to bring them out. I'm going to take them to a land flowing with milk and honey. A land that is currently occupied by a whole bunch of other End of verse 8. See, back in Genesis 15, God had promised that after 400 years in slavery, he was going to deliver his descendants and give them land. Here, 400 years later, promise restated. God is true to his word. He always has been. He always will be. The timing for us is always an issue. Why 400 years, God? Why do I have to wait for you to come down and do something in my life? Do you ever think like that? Promises made by God come through in his time. Not in our time. At this point, Moses is, is probably standing there and he's loving this. Bit of conjecture here. He's loving this. He's nodding in in agreement. He's saying, yes, God, what is happening in Egypt is awful. I'm delighted to hear that you're going to do something to end the oppression and the injustice. But Moses had no clue what was coming next because Moses hadn't read the story and he hadn't seen the Ten Commandments or the Prince of Egypt. So all he's doing is standing there. In this holy moment, listening to God, saying, I've heard, I've seen, I've come, I'm concerned, and I'm going to come down, and I'm going to rescue. And Moses is saying, brilliant. Amen. So be it. Love it. When all of a sudden, he receives what must have felt like a shock from a high-voltage cable. Look at verse 10. So now go. Sorry? Sorry? So now, Moses, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This just got personal. I was going to say, try to put yourself in Moses' shoes, but that would have been difficult for lots of reasons. It's virtually impossible to get your head around how Moses must have been feeling. This has gone from weird to bizarre to ridiculous Moses is 80 he's been living under the radar for 40 years he hasn't got a great track record of dealing with difficult situations he's probably still on a wanted list in Egypt he's now got a wife to think about a family he's got a job to consider and therefore, it's, it's not hard to see why or understand how or why Moses reacts the way he does. Look at this. He basically comes out with a whole bunch of objections. Excuses, five to be exact. And he's got one purpose in mind. Five excuses, five objections, one purpose in mind. I need to get myself off the hook here. I need to bail out on this call. I need to avoid the challenges. You see, Moses stands before a holy God and he quarrels and he questions and he debates and he doubts. And that encourages me. Don't know if it should, but it does. And can I just say something on a bit of a personal level? Just over four years ago, whenever the call came to come here, I can assure you, I quarreled, questioned debated and doubted. Can I also say I still do at times? Really do. That's me just being honest before you this morning. And as you engage with Scripture, you often discover that apart from the odd exception, God's call to service is regularly met with tangible degree of reluctance, a certain amount of opposition. And a definite lack of enthusiasm. Time and time again. And we're no different, are we? We're not always that keen to speak up and out for God. Are you? And we're more than happy to leave the task, whatever that task may be, to someone else. And so I reckon as we look at how Moses responds, we'll identify with a lot of what he says. Uh, his reactions resonate But I hope and pray that as we look at these five together and consider God's response to each one, we'll walk away from here this morning with a renewed desire to serve and maybe a reduced tendency to object and make excuses. So we're kind of just starting the sermon now. (laughs) So here we go. Here's the first response from Moses. Who am I, God, that I should go? Now, there's different ways of looking at this. At one level, this sounds like Moses saying, Why me, God? And I'm sure we've all said that. Like, why should I get involved here? Why should I get involved with that person? And I suppose the most obvious response to why me is, Why not me? But at another level, Moses' initial comment sounds more like a cry of weakness. God, I'm not up to this. I feel overwhelmed. I can't do it. And I'm absolutely convinced we've all been there. But Moses had missed something. And we often do. Look at verse 8 again. Because what had God said? God had said, listen Moses, I'm coming down to rescue. Moses, you're not on your own. This isn't down to you. Did you not hear what I said? I'm going to do the rescue. I'm involving you you're not the one doing it so what does God say in response to Moses's question verse 12 I will be with you yes Moses you may feel out of your depth weak inadequate but listen it's not about you it's about what I'm going to do through you on your own this is impossible but with me all things are possible to quote a later biblical truth from the lips of Jesus who am I that I should go for a comment, but who are we? That's a whole other ball game. And if you ever think, do you know something, God, I can't do this. You're absolutely right, you can't. But with God, you absolutely can. The second objection or issue comes in verse 13. Because having asked, who am I? Moses then effectively asks, well, listen, who are you? You know, whenever the Israelites say to me, well, who has sent you, Moses? What's my response to be? Who are we dealing with here? What is your name? Now, obviously, Moses had some concept of who God was. Hides his face from him. Slips off his sandals before him. He had some idea of who God was. But there was clearly much more to discover regarding God's true nature and character. And so having questioned his own identity, he then questions God's. And that desire or that hunger to gain a bigger and better and deeper and fuller understanding of who God is is a constant need for each and every one of us. Because the more you discover about who God is, the more your worship intensifies and your vision expands. So often. We reduce God. We box God. We kind of think we've got God sussed. So much more to discover about who God is. And in response to Moses' question, who are you? God's answer is legendary. We all know it, we've all heard it, but it isn't exactly straightforward. I am who I am. A notoriously ambiguous name which theologians are still pondering millennia later. It Speaks of mystery. It speaks of transcendence. And I realize you could spend a whole sermon on this name. But the one key aspect to it is this. That it tells us that God, this is one key aspect. It's the only one I can really kind of get my head around. It tells us that God is known through his actions. I will be who I will be. Or I will be whatever I will be is often how it's understood. And this was exactly Moses' experience. Experience. Because he learned who God was as he went with him. As he followed him, as he proved him, as he actually saw God at work, he then discovered who God was. And so in Exodus 15, for example, we find Moses singing his heart out. And here are some of the lyrics of his song. The Lord, the I am who I am, is my strength. He's my defense. He's become my salvation. The Lord, the I am who I am, is a warrior. The Lord, the I am who I am, is his name. You see, to know God, you've got to go with God. You can't sit back, do little or nothing, and expect to know him. You've got to get up and go like Moses. And as you journey with God, you'll discover so much more about him and what he does. You've got to take a risk. You've got to launch out. You've got to try something. You've got to reach for what you thought was unachievable. Then, you will begin to discover so much more about who God is. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I will be whatever I will be. It's the I am who I am that's sending you, Moses. And if you go, you'll see, you'll discover, you'll prove who I am. God then assures Moses that the elders of Israel will listen to you. Plus, Moses, I'm going to perform wonders in Egypt. And as a result, the Egyptians are going to let your people go and my people go. That's the promise. Now, at this point, having discovered more about who he was, more about who God was, and having listened to this amazing prediction of what would happen in Egypt, that the people will listen, the Israelites, the Egyptians will let my people go, You'd have thought that Moses was ready to sign off on the assignment. But no, no chance. Still three more objections and excuses. And the third one appears in chapter 4 verse 1. Begins with those two infamous words. What if God? What if people don't believe me or listen? See, Moses fears ridicule. Fears embarrassment. Fears being made to look a fool. And who doesn't? Who doesn't? See, human nature is human nature. Seriously, God, you're asking me, an 80-year-old shepherd, to waltz back into Egypt, meet with some of the most powerful people in the land, and make some of the most outrageous demands. No chance. You're asking me to share the gospel with that person, with those people. You're asking me to love that neighbor. You're asking me to serve that family. You're asking me to stand up to that cause. But what if God, what if people laugh? What if the words of warriors. The words of glass half-full people. The words of those who want to play it safe and stay inside their comfort zones. Moses was worried about what might happen. And he had totally missed what God had said would happen. Too self-conscious. Too preoccupied with himself, his image and his reputation. And again, it all sounds so familiar. At least in my life. What if? And then comes God's response. It's a classic. We all know it. What is that in your hand? Turns out it's a staff, it's a shepherd's crook. And God takes it and shows how he can turn the ordinary into something extraordinary and powerful. What's that in your hand? It's a few loaves and a few fish. What's that in your hand? It's a few stones and a simple sling. What's that in your hand? It's a few extra quid, a little extra time. It's a pen, it's a paintbrush. Whatever it is, give it over to God and see how he can turn the ordinary into something amazing. But the main purpose behind the staff into snake and then snake back into staff thing was so that when Moses performed it in Egypt, people would sit up and take note. And just to add to this sign, God gives Moses two more signs. Stick your hand inside your cloak. Bring it out. Leprous. Put it back in again. Bring it out. It's clean. And I tell you what, here's a third one just in case. See when you're there, pour water on the dry ground. Water from the Nile and it will turn into blood. Now at this point, having seen the snake thing, the hand thing, and being promised about the water in the blood thing, you'd have thought, okay, I'm now ready to go. But no, still more excuses. The fear of ridicule, the fear of not being believed was greater and more influential than the fear of God. We fear man far more than we fear God. And at one level that's shocking. And then comes excuse number four. Verse 10. God, I've never been eloquent Neither in the past nor since I am slow of speech and tongue. I'm not a good speaker, God. Words don't flow. Get all tongue-tied. Never sure what to say. And I guarantee you we've all thought that. Let me read you Acts 7, verse 22, referring to Moses' 40 years growing up in Egypt. Here's what it says. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of Egypt and was what? Somebody tell me what it says in Acts 7. Sorry. He is powerful in speech and action. Moses, you're a barefaced liar. You're a barefaced liar. You just you just said before God, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since. Actually, you were powerful in speech. <laughs> Most people don't draw attention to this bit by the way. You're grasping at straws, Moses. You're now making stuff up. The thing is, that's my response. That's not God's. God responds so graciously. God doesn't pull him up. God doesn't say, Moses, you're lying. God says, you know what? I'll help you speak. I'll give you the words to say. Divine speech therapy. And time and time again, that's the way God works, isn't it? He gives us the right word to say at the right moment. be great if we knew it in advance. <laughs> but sometimes you've just got to go there and then trust God to see how the conversation develops. Nearly done. You still with me? <laughs> One more. So in spite of all he said and heard, Moses still isn't convinced, still isn't up for going, and so out comes his final get-out clause. Verse 13, tell you what, God... Send someone else. There's got to be somebody else, anybody else. And again, it echoes so loudly. We're absolutely convinced that, listen, whenever I look around, there's far better people to do this job. Far more gifted people than me. Why me? So often we think that, don't we? we? We come to church and we look around and we think, do you know something? Why me? When I look around at the gift and the ability that's sitting all around me, why me? Send someone else, God. And at this point, God gets angry. Verse 14. And can you blame God? Can you? Yet when you read what follows, you discover that even in his anger... God responds with grace to Moses' resistance. And so, what does God do? God says, Okay, what about Aaron? He's on his way, so tell you what, he can go with you. and, And even better, I'll help both of you speak. God's patience with Moses and with us is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And so now the time for excuses and objections is over. And so Moses finally goes. But that's for part four next week. And as I finish this morning, I hope there's been lots in here to kind of take away and reflect on and chew over. But let me ask you a few concluding questions. Where's God calling you? What is God inviting you to do? Who is God asking you to speak to this morning? See, most of us don't feel up to God's call in our lives. We don't see ourselves as potential faith heroes. But as we read this story, and it's repeated throughout Scripture, we discover that God specializes in using frail, weak, fallible, ordinary, excuse-making clay jars. I.e. you and me. God takes those who feel like nobodies and leads them on an epic adventure of discovery. And so whoever you are this morning or wherever it's at, the real question is this, where do you go from here in your journey with God? Will you and I step outside of our comfort zones? Will we take a risk? Will we respond to God's call? And in doing so, discover more about who we are and more about who God is. Can I invite you to stand for a moment? As Richard said at the start. And as I said during that. This is holy ground. And these are holy moments. I mean if you believe. That God is here by his spirit. Then this, these are holy moments. And if you're here this morning. And you feel ordinary. And you feel like this is just another ordinary day. Then I'm going to just ask you to do something. Just in the silence. I want you to just say to God quietly. Here I am. And just listen to what God says to you. Let's do